Good morning. This format's different. I keep waiting for somebody to pray, waiting for all kind of stuff to happen. But uh, praise God, soon I know we'll be able to meet normal. It's nice to, um, you know, I don't eat a lot of donuts, but I think I've lost a few pounds. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the donuts coming back. But let us pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that uh, as your children were here and that uh, we're, just, uh, we're just calling on you, Lord Jesus, to speak to us because, you know, as we deal with all the clamor of, of each one of our days, Lord, there's no words that can touch our lives except the words that come from you, Lord. So help us to uh, be touched by your words today, Lord. Help me to really be put aside and that you would speak on my behalf, Lord, because my words won't affect anybody's lives. It's only the words that come from you, Lord Jesus. So we pray for that this morning, and we honor you um, with this time in your name. Amen. Um, I've lost, I lost my voice a few days ago, and it's kind of a tough situation when you're advised not to speak at all. Um, but I, I was very thankful because I spent uh, three days at home, and, um, and I spent a lot of time with the Lord. I didn't watch anything. I just prayed and read, and I, I just want to offer that as just a, I know you know it, all the saints know that that's, it's good to spend time with the Lord. But it's even more precious when we can spend like some concentrated time with our Jesus. And that's something we don't have the opportunity to do as much because of our busy schedule, to literally spend days with him. Um, and I'm very thankful because he, he gave me the subject matter that I was very, very touched and blessed by it. And, um, and it's going to be in Genesis. We're going to be looking at... Um, a person's life who um, touched my life a little different this time. I've talked, I've studied Jacob a little, and I know you women have been really blessed because you've had a lot of Bible studies, you know, about this man and, and his life, and it's a pretty incredible life. And the, the message title today will, He Will Never Leave Us Till the Work Is Done. And I was blessed by that. He will never leave us till the work is done. So let's kind of, we're going to deal with a couple points today, just three points. First point is the homeless potter or plotter meets the God of Abraham and Isaac. Then the second point is going to be 20 years in the school of hard knocks. And then the third point is Jacob finally gets his degree. And the first point is the homeless plotter meets the God of Abraham and Isaac. And we're going to talk about Jacob and just kind of create a path for this man because if we go to Genesis chapter 25, we, you know, he kind of comes on the scene and he's a, he's an interesting character, this Jacob. And in 25, it uh, talks about his birth, and, and then it talks about in verse 26 we can go to, and it talks about 
basically when Jacob had a brother Esau and and Isaac and Rebecca, you know, they had twins coming, and that's a blessing when you have twins. But um, they came out at the same time. But it says that Esau came out first. But then verse 26 says, and afterward his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was 60 years old when she, um, when she gave birth to them. And they grew up together. And then, verse 29, you kind of start to see Jacob kind of coming out of his shell a little bit. I don't know really what... The Bible doesn't tell all the details of this man's life, but it gives us little picture frames of him. And this is one of the frames that's a pretty big frame because Esau, of course, because he was the first to to be born, he was entitled to a birthright. But it says in verse 29, and when Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. And Esau said, behold, I am about to die. So what use is there to my birthright? And Jacob said, first, swear to me. So he swore to him and sold him his birthright. And Jacob gave Esau the bread and the lentil stew, and he ate and drank. And we know the story that now Esau sells his birthright. So we're not going to talk about Esau a lot because I'm just going to focus on Jacob because of our time. But Jacob came out holding on to Esau. Now Jacob's taking his birthright, I mean, for some stew. He's an interesting man. This Jacob, he's called a really a deceiver. I called him a plotter, a manipulator, a person who took advantage of situations. You could call him in today's language, maybe even a con artist. So let's go on because he's not done plotting and manipulating. So if we go to 27... Like I said, we can't really cover a lot. I want you, if you have time, to just read chapter 25 up to 35, 36, and you'll get the true picture. But if we go to 27, we see Jacob again. And it came about when Jacob was old, or excuse me, Isaac was old. His eyes were too dim to see, so basically he was blind. So he called his brother, es- he called his son Esau, and said to him, My son, and he said to his father, Here I am. And Isaac said, Behold, now I'm old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now, then, please take your gear and your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt some game for me and prepare a savory dish for me and bring it to me so I can eat. And, you know, it says earlier in the uh, chapters that Isaac really had a, a love for Esau, but Rebecca had a love for Jacob. So Rebecca's in the background listening to this. So she hears it, and she says to her son, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare it, and 
Verse 8 says, now, therefore, my son, listen to me. I have a plan. So I don't want to blame her for Jacob. But she's basically contriving with him or pushing him to deceive their father. And that just shows how we as parents need to be very careful about what we teach our children and the example we give them because it made an impact because it says that she tells him to listen to me, go and get the flock and bring the choice food to me. Then I'll show bring it to your or Then you shall bring it to your father because I'm going to prepare it for you. And Jacob answered his mother, which is a nice response in a sense. He says, you know, behold, Esau, my brother is a hairy man and, a, and I'm smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall be a deceiver in his sight. Well, you are a deceiver. It's clear at that moment because you remember when Joseph was, Pharaoh's daughter came to Joseph, um, Potiphar's daughter, I think, or his wife came to Joseph, and, and she's trying to make a, uh, an appeal to him. And, and Joseph's response is, never, never, I will not do this thing and sin against my God. But Jacob's response was like, well, I might get caught. It wasn't that this is not a good thing. He was saying, well, he'll recognize me because my hand is smooth and my brother's hand is hairy. And so she has a plan for that as well. So she says, don't worry about it. Obey my voice. Verse 13 says, so he went out and got them and brought them to his uh, mother and she made the meal. And, and then Rebecca took it, um, took the best garments of Esau, which is verse 15. We're in chapter 27, 15. And she put the skins of the kids on his hands and the smooth part on his neck and gave him the food. And he came to his father in verse 18. It says, my father. And he says, here am I. Who are you, my son? Well, wouldn't that be interesting? I mean, we know the voice of our son or daughters, don't we? And Isaac is already suspicious. And that's why he says, who are you? And Jacob says, I'm Esau. You're firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please, and sit, eat the game that you may bless me. And Isaac said to his son, how is it that you've done this so quickly? And then Jacob says, because the Lord your God caused it and helped me. He's going really deep. Now he's involving God, that God blessed me. God did this. That's why I responded so quickly. Then Isaac said, please come close that I might feel you, my son, whether you're really my son, Esau. He's very suspicious. Jacob came close. The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Deception. Are you really my son, Esau? He says in verse 24. So he said, bring me, bring it to me and I'll eat of the game and I will bless you. And then his father said in verse 26, please come close that I may kiss you, my son. Well, he wasn't looking to really kiss him. He wanted to smell him to make sure because he knew there was a certain fragrance his other son had. So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field. And then he gets the blessing in verse eight. Now may the God, may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth. And an abundance of the grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow 
down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. And then we read further down where Esau comes back and Esau is totally upset. And Esau's mad because he was fooled again a second time. And it says, verse 25, and he said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. So his father says, you lost your blessing. We're going to keep moving because I just want to paint a little picture and you can read it on your own because I think it would be very valuable to take time and truly read these scriptures. And then his dad tells him, behold, I've made him master over you. And then for 41, you have the consequences of all this. Esau bears a grudge against Jacob because the blessing of which his father had blessed him. Now, when the words... Because Jacob said under his breath or said to someone, I'm going to kill my brother when my dad maybe dies. Now, you have a situation that's been created here. And I just don't want to belabor all these voices and, or these verses and, and, and spend so much time on the verses. But it's good for us to see the picture of, of the circumstances here and how Jacob now is in trouble. And his mother hears of the fact that Esau is interested in hurting him, and she has a plan now, and her plan is to get him to leave. So it says in verse 46, Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm tired of living because the daughters of Heath, if Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heath like these and from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? So she doesn't even really mention the fact that Esau is looking to kill Jacob because of his deception. She just paints another picture. So Isaac in verse in chapter 28 calls Jacob, blessed him, and then he told him that he needs to go away. And that's where our story begins today. Now I want you to really understand something that's very important. I wanted to read those verses to paint a picture. Most of you know the picture. I know you do, but I want you to relive the picture of this man and the circumstances of this thing, of how Jacob, the deceiver, the conniver, the con artist, just lived a life of deception. And now things are like coming to roost because he's done so much of this deceiving, and now he has to kind of pay the consequences for it. He has to now leave his parents. Now, I was reading Bill McDonald, and Bill McDonald says he was like 70 years old wasn't like he was 10 years old or 20 years old. He was an older man when all this happened. So I want you to think about this. I want you to understand that he probably grew up manipulating. He probably had a pattern of that throughout his whole life. I mean, you, can you imagine him as a child playing with the other kids, dealing with chores, how he would manipulate? We know of manipulators. We've met them in our lives. Manipulators. People will manipulate things so that they can get an advantage from it. And he was a manipulator. He probably stole cookies from the cookie jar and then told mom, I didn't take them, and probably left a couple crumbs in his brother's bed and said, go, look at, look at, look at Esau. He has crumbs. Look, he must have did it. I don't want to tell on him, though. So this was a conniver. This was a, a manipulator, a plotter, a deceiver, a bad person. 
because he took advantage of situations and made them work out for his benefit and really wasn't right. He hurt his brother, even though his brother, we can say, didn't value the birthright because he didn't. But still, that doesn't justify doing things to harm, especially since God had already promised that he was going to get that. And that's another story that if you read, you'll have some fun with that. So we've created a picture of who this man was. The beauty of this is God is still in the picture. God is still involved with this person's life. Even though he's deceiving and manipulating things, God is behind the scenes saying, I have a purpose, I have a plan, I have an intention, I have a life, I have a goal, I have a purpose, and that will never be thwarted. And I want you all to understand, every single person in here, that the plans of God are never thwarted. The manipulators, the deceivers, the conners, the liars can paint any picture they want, and they can do anything they would like to do. The truth is, God is on the throne. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God is going to achieve what he intends to do in each one of our lives, period, in spite of us. And that's when we go, and I just love as I started reading, and you go into the beauty of chapter 28. In verse 10. Because what happened now is Jacob is on the run. He's left home. He's going to his mother's brother's Laban's house. He's on the run. And verse 10 just talks about Jacob. It says, then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set and the place. And he took some stones from the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he had a dream. Please do me a favor. Take these verses. Put them on the wall in your house. Put them in front of your computer. Put them everywhere. Because now he's having a dream and God's talking to him. Now listen to the words. He had a dream and behold, he saw a ladder set up from to earth from top reaching the heaven. And the, behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and says, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you. And your descendants. Your descendants shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out the and you shall spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Verse fifteen. Eat this verse for these couple verses. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. 
Then Jacob awoke from the sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. He came running, not knowing what was happening. And he had a dream. And all of a sudden, the Lord is speaking to him. And the Lord is telling him, I have a plan for you. And I want you to understand something. Even though you're running, even though you're conniving, even though your purposes are all off, even though you're doing all these things, he says, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this place where you belong. I will bring you back. Why? For I will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. That is the message today. God's work is incredible. But when I read this, it just gripped me differently when I read it and meditated on it because God was telling me, he was saying, Ron, I have a plan for you. I want you to think about this as Christians. To understand as Christians, this is the moment we get saved. That moment. Right before the Lord comes to us and he says it in his word. He says to you and me right now, once the day we got saved and this, this verse, we can continue to meditate on it. He says to you, he says to you today, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. Wherever you go, if you go into the pits of hell, I'll keep you. If you're my child. Because I'll bring you back to this land. I'll bring you back from where you go. Why? Because I'll never leave you until I've done what I've intended, my purpose, what I promised you. What I get out of that is so great because now we're going to look at Jacob's life. The conniver, the cheater, the con artist. And God is telling him as he's going out into the world, as he's going out running from his sin, that no matter where you go, I'm going to be with you. No matter what you do, I'm going to be right there by your side. No matter where you go and how far out you go, I'm going to bring you back to this place. I will never leave you until I've done what I've intended, what I promised you. This is my promise to you. And when I read that, I was thinking, it wasn't that he said, I might do this, I could do this, I should do this. It's based on what you do. I don't see anywhere in it where it says it's based on anything I do. I see there that I'm going to do it because that's who I am. That's my purpose. That's my plan. That's who I am. I'm God. And I have the best for you. And I won't let you go without me being with you. I won't let you go out into the distant land without bringing you back. I'm going to bring you back. And now we have 20 years of him running. And that's where we go. But I want to read something that Bill McDonald says about this. He's God's promise. He says to Jacob, before he leaves home, he quotes. Notice the promise of companionship. I am with you. Notice the promise of safety. I will keep you wherever you go. Notice the promise of guidance. And we'll bring you back to this place in this land. And then a personal guarantee. I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. And Jacob's response was, and you can read it, it's in 20 and 21, it says, if you do this, then I'll do this, Lord. He didn't get it at that point. 
He didn't get it because he said to God, if you do this, if you do what you promised you would do, then you'll be my God and I'll give you a tithe and I'll do this for you. If you do this, I didn't read anywhere where God says I might do it. I'm considering doing it. It's all based on you. It's all based on your merit. It's all based on your character. It's all based on something that you're bringing to the table. I didn't read that in that section of verses. What I read is this is what I'm going to do. And I want us to understand we can run and run and run. If we're a child of God, we can't hide anywhere. We can't go anywhere. He's going to bring us back if we're a child of God. And if it's by dragging us, he'll drag us. If it's by pulling us, he'll pull us. If it's on a stretcher, it's on a stretcher. Whatever it is, it is. But he's going to bring us back. That's what I got out of that. And that's what blessed me more than anything. The thing that blessed me most about this is that that's a God that I want as the man in my life and the God that's on my side. I want that kind of God. A God that says, Ron, you're going to go out and you're going to go out into the world and you're going to make all these mistakes. You're going to have your own agenda. You're going to fight and do the things that you want to do. But I'm saying to you today, I will never leave you. I will be there by your side. When you go out into the dark, when you go out into the world, when you go out and do the things that you do, when you go out and you fall apart, when you go out and you just literally just deny me my power, my life and your life, I'm going to be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Anybody in here that doesn't have that God as your God, don't you want him? Isn't that a kind of that kind of God you want? Not like a friend that leaves you when you despise him or you deny him or you cheat on him. Or you do something to offend him or her. And they say, well, no thanks. I want to break off our relationship. You blew it. I don't want to deal with you anymore. I don't read that in verse 15. What I read is, wherever you go, I'll be with you. I will keep you. I will never leave you until I've done what I've promised. And what has he promised? Promised. I'll never leave you. Until I've done the work that I intended for you. Now we spent a long time on that. So I have a lot of catching up to do. I've got to do it really quick. Let's go fast. Let's go to 29. Because the second point is the 20 years in the school of hard knocks. And this is really kind of like where I wanted to spend the time, so I kind of blew it. Because he meets, boy, he meets his match. 29 says, then Jacob went on his way and he came to the land of the sons of the east. And then go fast forward. And we're going to go to verse 15. And he meets Laban. And Laban said to Jacob, you're my relative and tell me what you want for you. Because he's basically saying, okay, I'm going to live in your land now. And Laban is the brother of his mother, Rebecca. So he's now going to live there. Now, Jacob is now, remember, the con artist running, running away, thinking that, well, what can I do here now? Look at all the opportunities here. And all he had in his hand was a staff. He didn't bring anything to the party, but now he's there. 
And then he says, Laban says, what are your wages? What do you want? And he already had, you know, I didn't read that, but a couple verses before he had met Laban's daughter, Rachel. And he says that he kind of fell for her. Isn't that kind of funny how we can fall for somebody just like that? And he fell for her and says he kissed her. But I kissed my daughter the first time you meet her. You guys, <laughs> you'll get this. <laughs> but Laban didn't give him this. Laban said, you know, you, you kissed her or you love her. Okay, I'll give her to you. But you got to do this. Well, Jacob said, well, hmm, I'll serve you for seven years. He's kind of manipulating now. He's a manipulator. He's a great manipulator. I remember seeing this song and you, you know, you worldly people in here, you know, when I was in the world, I remember this song was uh, Michael Jackson, the, the smooth criminal or something. What was it? The smooth something. He was smooth. He was, and Laban, Laban was thinking like, okay, I got this guy. He's kind of smooth. And Jacob's thinking he's the smoothest man out there. Okay, I'll work for seven years, you know, and I got the babe here. Because she was the babe. Because it says that she was beautiful. And I know the other guys are like, who is he? How does he get her? We wanted her. But seven years, he gets her. And then all of a sudden, it says that um, it came to the day, the evening, when he took his daughter, Leah, and he brought her to him. And Jacob went into her, and Laban also gave his maid. And so he came about the next morning. Behold, it was Leah. And basically, Laban the contriver. Laban's now the manipulator. Laban's now the man on the throne of deception. Because Laban fooled Jacob. And instead of Leah, I mean, instead of um, Rachel being the one, he sends his other daughter in. And then Jacob wakes up and he's thinking, what happened? Let me say, I got a plan. Don't worry about it. I know I fooled you. I know I gave you my daughter. And, and, but I wanted Leah to have a husband, too. And you're a good man. I like how you work. Because he's a manipulator, too. He saw Jacob's work, and I bet he was impressed. He started getting blessed, and things started happening. He said, I want this man another seven years. Now he's the deceiver now. And Jacob's kind of sitting on the side thinking, what's happening here? So he basically provides another solution. In verse 26, Laban said, it's not the practice of our place to marry the younger one before the firstborn. Well, he didn't tell me that before. It was in the fine print, Dean said. He said, complete another week with, with her, which, you know, you'll serve me, and, and you serve me for another seven years, and then I'll give you Rachel. So now you got 14 years. But he's got two wives, plus a couple, you know, servants, too. Fourteen years now have gone by. Jacob, the deceiver, has been deceived. But he's not finished deceiving. Because it goes on that um, he deceives him. And like I said, there's just so much to this, we can't cover it. But he deceives him with some animals and fools him with the sheep. And all of a sudden he becomes a wealthy man because of that. But I read something that Macintosh said about Jacob. You know, let's just think about this. 
He says, in this study of Jacob's history, which is profoundly interesting and eminently useful, no one can read the three chapters now before us and not be struck at the amazing grace that could come and take up such a one as Jacob and not only take him up, but say after the full discovery of all that was in him, he hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither has he seen perversion or perverseness in Israel, which is in Numbers 22 or 23, 21. Now, he didn't say that he didn't see iniquity and that weren't, they weren't in him. He was saying that there was no sin on him because our God in God's sight, the simple ground of Christ's perfect sacrifice must infallibly set his heart and conscience at rest. What we have here, we have the beauty of our God. Because you understand something. Laban was not the greatest of men. And God had seen this picture of Laban. God knew who Laban was. He wasn't fooled by Laban. But still it says that grace followed Laban. God's mercy followed Laban. And we see him praying and we're going to, we got to move. Let's go to chapter 32. Because he has to leave Laban now and he's looking to have a reunion with his brother. And I guess in verse 6 and 7, it talks about him sending messengers. And and I guess the message from his brother Esau is that there are going to be 400 men with him. And Jacob was greatly afraid. So, again, it's hard to cover so much in so little time. But if you can read the chapters and understand that as this man has journeyed away from home, and spent 14 years in manipulating his way to get two wives and basically being under Laban, his uncle, his servitude and being mistreated by him in a lot of ways. He still took advantage of the situation and gained great wealth. And now he's leaving because he's been found out that he's been doing some manipulating. And now Jacob is now running away from Laban, because he kind of manipulated situations and, and gave Laban some bad sheep and took the good sheep from them. I mean, he was just doing, he was doing Jacob. And now Jacob is leaving. He's running again, because that's typically what we must do when we're not right with God. We have to keep running. Once we run to a place, we're going to get uncomfortable there, and we got to run to another place. And that's what happened with Laban, I mean, with uh, Jacob. Laban now is not comfortable anymore for him. He can't stay there with Laban because he's been found out that he's a deceiver. And Laban says no. There was anger starting to dwell in that household. So he now runs, and now he's running back to his brother, Esau. 20 years, and he's fearful because what did he do 20 years ago? 
And that's why if we don't kind of fix situations and fix issues with people, that can happen. He never really fixed that, that situation with his brother. He never really came back and said to his brother, I'm sorry. He never sent a note saying, I blew it. I shouldn't have done that. He didn't fix it. So now 20 years later, in his mind, it's not fixed because he didn't do anything to fix it. He didn't know that all through it all, God has been working. On Esau, God was working. On Jacob, God was working. On Laban, God was working. God was working throughout the whole situation. On all the parties involved, God was still working. God was still creating his intention of, I'm going to break that man, and that is what we have to understand. This 20 years in the school of hard knocks was for one purpose, to break Jacob. And when we spend the time after getting saved and we go out into the world and we start to live our lives as Christians, the time that we begin as a Christian until the time that we break, because we all need to break. Laban took 20 years to break. How many years will it take me and you to break? Because that was what God's goal was. That was what God's purpose was, to break Laban, to break him. Why? Why would God want to break him? Because God can't use him unless he's break, broken. Also, Laban, all the people involved, are blessed when we're broken. You don't know that. God's not trying to break you and break me. And he wasn't trying to break Jacob so that he would feel better about Jacob. Oh, I did a good job with it, Jacob. I broke him. And he feels like, okay. No, I did well. God is not looking for any achievement. He's looking for a character to be changed. He's looking for a man or a woman to be humbled. He's looking for a person, a Christian, to fall on our knees before him and say, I can't do it. My schemes don't work. It's not about my power. It's not about my life. It's not about my will. It's not about my purpose. It's about God. And Laban helped God achieve that because now Jacob is running back and he's fearful and he prays. And I'm not going to read it because you guys need to read it. You need to read it. You need to read Genesis 32, 9 through 12, because Jacob is now starting to get it. He's now starting to get it. I think he's now starting to understand that this God that made a promise to him, I need to go back to him because something was right there. I had something good at Bethel. That God that made his way in my life, that gave me his, his purpose and his plan, his promise in that dream, the same God that my dad, Isaac, told me about. Because Isaac, remember, was the one who went on the sacrifice was going to be sacrificed by his father, Abraham. So talking about legacy, talking about birthright, talking about family tree, Jacob was a man that had no excuse to not walk close to the Lord. But God says that I'm going to use him. I'm going to achieve my purpose in his life, and I'm not going to leave him till my work is done. I want you Christians to understand something that's special about that, that our God doesn't stop when we stop. And we stop, don't we? Even with our loved ones sometimes, we stop. 
they do something that doesn't please us or they kind of get on our nerves, we kind of pull back. I'll show you that wasn't right. God never is looking at Jacob and saying, what you're doing to me is not right. How you're responding to me and the love I have for you is not right. No, he just guides him back gently, lets him go through 20 years of running, and then he guides him back, and then he meets his brother Esau, and then he realizes brother Esau doesn't really have, he's not upset. And Jacob is still conniving a little. He meets his brother, and he's still slow to trust God. He's still manipulating. He's still creating plans. He says, well, let's send some gifts to my brother so that he can kind of soften him up. He still has a plan. We have to stop with our plans. There is no need for a plan when we're walking under the umbrella of the Almighty. There is no plan needed when God is on our side. There is no plan needed if we're in God's plan and purpose. We don't have to plan. We don't have to contrive. We don't have to do anything except trust God. Except get on our face before him and say, Lord, Lord, it's not my will. Your will be done. It's not my purpose. It's your purpose. Not my tent. I want you to live your life through me. I don't want anything except you. And he said, I will do that to Jacob. I will keep dragging him. I will keep pushing him. I will keep the pressure on him. And he does that with you and me, too. There's no different. The same God that loved Laban and loved all the saints before us is the same God that loves us today. With the same plan and purpose today. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will not change. He's the same God that says, Mike, no matter what you go through, I'll be with you. No matter where you go, I'll be with you. And if you go to the wrong place, I will bring you back to the right place. That staggers me. To know that our God says, everybody can give up on you, but I won't. Jacob was not deserving of this kind of promise. And I'm not either and you aren't either. We're not deserving of that promise. The promise that God says, you can keep going. You can keep going out of my will. You can keep leaving me. You can keep denying me. You can keep misleading me. You can keep walking away and doing your own thing as a Christian. If you're truly born again, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will bring you back. My promise is in stone and it will not change. No matter where you go, I will be with you. And if you go to the wrong place, I will bring you back to the right place, Bethel. And he did that because Jacob kept running. And he ran. And he ran. And now he's coming back and his brother and everything's fine. And the story's not over because we see Jacob in the wrong place again. And again, your responsibility is to read it. Because he ends up being in the wrong place in Succoth. And his daughter gets raped. And his son murders a lot of people. God has been talking to him. And he's starting to kind of, it's like the eggshell is starting to crack a little bit. The stone is starting to get a little soft. Because God gradually works. And his love is so great because his love penetrates us over time. He doesn't just come in with a sledgehammer and say, wham, stop it. He gives us his word. He gives us people. He gives us ministries. He gives us individuals who love us. He gives us counselors. He gives us Christians who basically continue to just show God's love because his whole goal, his whole purpose is restoration. To bring back you 
to where you should be. And he doesn't stop. So when Jacob is like still running, but he's different though. He's different because he had an encounter with God, and it talks about that where he wrestled with God. And I'm going to touch all these things, and if you have to stay a couple more minutes, I apologize, and you can beat me up afterwards. But I have to at least say a couple more things. Because he... Remember Genesis 32, 24? It says he wrestled with a man. And I like Macintosh, what he says about this. He says, no matter what we may think about ourselves, nor what we, what man may think about us, the great question is, what does God think about us? It doesn't matter what I think about me. It doesn't matter what you think about me. The question is, what does God think about me? And if he's not happy with me, I'm not happy with me. If he's not satisfied with me, I'm not satisfied with me. So Jacob, as he's going through all this kind of Fighting against God's will, he now has a encounter. And it says that he fought and wrestled with God. And then he came to a point where he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And one of the writers says that what he was saying was, I will not let you go. I've realized I can't do it. I'm not letting you go again. I had you at Bethel 20 years ago. I'm not letting you go. Do you bless me? Bless me with what? With your presence. Bless me by showing me that who I am is nothing and who you are is everything. I don't want this life anymore. And then he goes back and he's all this and he's running around. And then we go and we end the story. And point three is Jacob finally gets his degree and we need to get our degree. 35 is like the victory stance. It's like I got my education. I got my degree. That's where God talked to him, and God says, okay, verse 35, I mean, chapter 35, come on, let's go. we got to move. we got to get out of here. Chapter 35, then God said to Jacob, we can go back 20 years, and it says, then God said to Jacob, 20 years, and he'll say that to me and you. 20 years from now, he'll say, then God said to Ken, then God said to Dean, again, Why? He's not the again, again, again God where he's nagging. He's the I love you so much I will not give up until I've done what I've intended to do and I've achieved my promise in your life. I will not give up on you. If everybody gives up on you, if you give up on you, I'm not going to give up. So I come back and God said to Jacob, arise and go to Bethel and live there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. He says, I'm still the same God and I haven't left you. I told you I wasn't. And I didn't. I brought you back to this place. Now, go home. Go back. Come home. It's time. You've been away too long. Stop. Let's go. Let's get back. Let's get busy again. And Jacob got it. Because Jacob in verse 3 says, Let us rise and go up to Bethel. And I will make an altar there to God. Who answered me in the day of my distress. And has been with me wherever I have gone. 
I am staggered by that. He didn't just say that. He said, verse 4, so they gave, and he went on because he wanted their gods. He says, so they gave Jacob all their foreign gods, which they had, and the rings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak, which was near Shechem. Because when we come back, we got to leave the trash. You can't just come back. Okay, God, I'm here, dirty clothes and all. He said, no, take those filthy rags off. The sin, remove it. You can't do the things you did there. That's why I'm bringing you back home, because I'm done with you. Because you've realized that this life of living away from me, of living in sin, you finally understood that this is not my will, my purpose for you, and you can't go there anymore if you want to have the life that I want you to have, the life that's full of joy and peace. The life that God says he promised his children, the abundant life. That's what God wants for me and wants for you, an abundant life. It's not that he wants to persecute us. He wants us to have an abundant life, a great life. Grace. You're talking about grace. Look at Jacob. Did he deserve any of this? We can say I'm not as bad as Jacob. We can say that, but I'm a Jacob. And I have that grace. And you know, isn't it special how God changed his name and said, you're Israel now? But let me tell you something that's real important. In Exodus, it says, God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What? God changed his name too? The God of Jacob? The God of the conniver, the God of the cheater, the God of the manipulator, the God of the sinner, the God of the hater, the God of the runner around and everything was all wrong with this man. I'm the God of Jacob now because I'm the God of the sinner. I'm the God of the lost. I'm the God of the hopeless. I'm the God of Ron Cooper. Wow. Change my name. That's great. Change his name. The God of Dean, the sinner, God lowering himself to say, I'm the God of you, 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 you who live down there. Isaiah says, many people will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord and the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The God of Jacob? Do we get that? There's 22 verses that I found in the Bible that mention the God of Jacob. The God of the person I just read to you about. And that's why I spent the time talking about who Jacob was. Because now God says, I don't, mad, I don't mind putting him on my lapel. I'm the God of him, the sinner, the lost, the hopeless. And he's the God of you. If you will take him as Lord and Savior, he's your God too. And those who are running away, he says this unmerited favor, this grace that I'm giving you, you don't deserve it. I know you don't deserve it, but you get it. Come home. Stop it. Why are you so far away? I haven't left you, though. 
And that's the good news because sometimes we can talk about God saying come home, but we forget he doesn't leave us when we're not home. And I love that. I read this story about these two pastors who went into a, a, a gathering and they went to this place and, and they were served a meal. And in the meal, the guy's looking at the meal and he says, what is this? It's a pile of some white stuff, creamy white stuff. What is this? He calls the waitress like, what are you bringing me? What is this stuff? She said, those are grits. Don't you know about grits? He said, I didn't order grits. She said, well, you don't have to order grits here because you don't even pay for them. You just get it. In every meal, we give you grits. And God says that to us. You didn't pay for it. You didn't order it. You just get it. Grace. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But he gave it to us. And he continues to give it to us. And we leave here, it's going with us. You can, you, we can say, no way, I don't want you, God. I'm going into a place that I know you don't belong. I'm still going in that place. I'm going in there with you. You keep going. I'm with you. I'm not giving up on you. And I want us to all get the message today, God is never going to give up on us. He never can. It's not him. It's not his purpose. His promise will live on until we enter the gates of him. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you. I will intend. I will do everything that I will do. And I will not stop doing it until I've achieved my purpose and my intent and my promises fulfilled in your life. So what we can do with that is stand tall and be thankful and not lose hope. In our sin... In our character, there's so little to be thankful for. I look at me and I think, how can I be such a vile sinner? And God looks at me and says, that's what I came to die for. And I don't see the sin. I see the man. I see the Christ man. I see my son and his blood. And I'm not going to leave you, Ron. I'm going to take you into heaven. We should walk around the earth in bliss. Thankful for that. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much for your grace and your mercy that's so undeserved. And we love you. And we praise you. And we commit this day to you. And we always ask, because you're the God that penetrates hearts, that there's somebody here today that doesn't know you as God that you touch them in a way that they would make the decision to go to somebody today and say, I want this God that this man was speaking about today. And the scriptures relate this God that is a merciful God. I want him. Ask somebody today, and may you be touched by this God, this Lord, this Savior. Love you, Lord Jesus. Praise your name. Amen. Sorry, I kept you here too long.